Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. I'm going to run through a few topics today. This is, this is a solo pod. There's no guest. Um, gave uh, Dave Brown the uh, all-star break-off. He's a benevolent guy. I am. Um, uh, there are going to be, I think, going to be some changes to the baseball pod in the second half of the season. Um, still going to do the baseball podcast with uh, Dave as long as he'll continue to come on. But we've only been doing that every other week. And we haven't done a standalone Cubs podcast that often. And uh, I know you guys, that's what you really want. And so I'm going to give the people what they want. Um, so hopefully coming up here relatively soon, um, there'll be a, a consistent guest uh, who has his own podcast. And sometimes I'll be on his podcast, sometimes I'll be on this podcast. I think we'll just split it up evenly. And uh, so you can get all kinds of exciting Cub content. Especially in the second half, it's going to be great. So what we're going to talk about uh, in this podcast is uh, the, the the first couple of weeks out of the shoot for the Cubs in the second half and how that's going to determine what they do. Um, talk a little bit about um, if, when, if they decide uh, they're going to trade guys off, who they've got to actually trade. So we'll run through those guys. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, expand a little bit on the three things that seem like easy changes for the Cubs that they refuse to do. And it's like, if you're going to pretend at least to win, and you're not going to fire your idiot manager or your incompetent president of baseball, whatever, at least do these things. So we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Shohei and where he might end up either uh, at the trade deadline or in the offseason. And then uh, just I'm going to touch on the Northwestern thing for just a little bit. Not I'm not going to dwell on that. It's been it's been dwelled on um, enough. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about is so in life is not. A, it sounds like I'm going to add. I'm not. In life there are moments that you'll never forget. Right things things that happen to you markers in your life that you never forget. Like uh, the your first kiss. You know, the first time you have uh, sex to completion. Uh, I heard that's great. Um, your wedding day, uh, the birth of your kids, uh, the Cubs winning a World Series, which we actually experienced. And I feel like another big one I was deprived, I was, I've been deprived of. Um, about a week ago, I got a letter in the mail. My wife did too. She, we, we each got separate letters in the mail. Open it up. It was from Aetna, who's our insurer. Congratulating us that our uh, at-home colon cancer screening kit test results had come in and uh, everything looked great and no need uh, to follow up. Here's the problem. Neither one of us did one of those. And I think I would remember if I did. Because from what I understand, the at-home colon uh, cancer screening is you shit in a box and then you mail the shit to Aetna. I think I would remember doing that. That's way up there on things that I'm, when my life flashes before my eyes on my deathbed, that one of the things I'm going to flash back on if it ever happens is me shitting in a box and mailing it to an insurance company. So I was a little puzzled by that, but then a couple of days ago in the, in the mail, letter from uh, Aetna. Uh, Erwin M. Fletcher, you choose, um, said, hello, Andrew. With an extra comma. I, know, I thought I used overused commas, but 
You may have received a letter with an at-home colon cancer screening kit test result from Aetna. I did. It's on the fridge. We sent you this letter in error. Ah, shit. Literally. If you did not order a kit, please disregard the results from Aetna. If you have any doubts about the at-home colon cancer screening kit, please call the number on your member ID card. So, in a way, I'm comforted by the fact that I didn't black out and completely forget shitting in a box and mailing it to Aetna. On the other hand, now I really want to shit in a box and mail it to Aetna. Uh, but I have a feeling that my uh, doctor, uh, when I go for my, for my annual physical now that I've uh, hit a... a uh, um, hit a round number, age-wise, is going to want to give me colonoscopy. Now, this is not the first colonoscopy talk you've heard on this podcast, because way back when Mike Pusteri and I did the uh, Draft Day Movie Deep Dive podcast with Dave Kaplan, we learned that Dave Kaplan had most recently rewatched Draft Day at that point um, while being wheeled in for his colonoscopy. So, uh, that seems like the perfect movie. <laughs> Uh, to see before they give you a twilight drug and jam something up your ass. Anyway, uh, so there, there's that. Uh, so I want to talk about the Cubs. Uh, they they come into the uh, All-Star break red hot, winners of four of seven. Wait, is that red hot? That doesn't seem red hot. After being losers of uh, seven and eight, seven of eight. So, so let's see, some quick math. If you lose seven of eight, and then you go uh, four and three on a road trip. That's one and seven and four and three. That's uh, five and ten. Yeah. That's good. That's that's great. Uh, but they come in red hot and not willing to give it up. I pointed out in a column last week that uh, the two most disappointing teams in the National League are the Padres and the Mets, two teams that are supposed to be pennant contenders and have lousy records. Uh, it just shows what the uh, what the realistic expectations I think for the Cubs were, considering the Cubs are a half game worse than the Padres and a half game better than the Mets, and so the they're literally sandwiched in between the two most disappointing teams in the National League, and no one looks at the Cubs as being disappointing because they're bad. So what are we doing? Well, anyway, the, the Cubs are gonna um, they're gonna let the next uh, they have a a ten game homestand. Then they've got six games on the road, and then the first half of a series at home against the Reds before the deadline. The deadline this year is August 1st. Uh, it's not July 31st, it's August 1st. So, extra day for Jedward to uh, to make some decisions about being paralyzed with fear and not, not trading someone and hopefully getting a, a fabulous comp pick that you can use on a pitcher who uh, hasn't pitched in a year and a half and isn't going to pitch until maybe next summer at some point, like they did with Wilson. But the upcoming games are uh, start on Friday with a Friday night game at Wrigley. Um, supposedly to give the players maximum rest. <laughs> I guess it's so the Red Sox can fly in on Friday so they could have all of the, the, the Red Sox All-Stars, of which there was one, I think, could have um, two full days off, even though the poor guy had to fly from Seattle to Boston Probably got one day. He probably been probably would have been cooler with flying just to Chicago and playing an afternoon game on Friday, but never mind. Three with the Red Sox, three with the Nationals, and we know how that went last time. It went not good last time. That was part of that road trip through Miami and D.C. where they lost every game by a run. Then four games with the Cardinals. 
the first uh, trip, no, second trip into town this year for the Cardinals, right? Right? Completely hallucinating. The Cubs only have to go to St. Louis once this year because the two games in England counted as a trip to St. Louis. I think it's uh, it's it's just because of the similarity among dental habits in the English and the people of Missouri. So they're like, that's yeah, basically a Cardinal. Look at those smiles. It's basically a Cardinal home game. Plus the fans are cheering at inopportune times um, and booing all the minorities. So really it did. It fit It fit in perfectly. So, but anyway, the Cardinals are coming to town. That's right. It's, it's the second trip because the first one, Cubs had a chance to really bury the Cardinals. Uh, they couldn't do it. Cardinals were frisky for about three more days and then realized they're terrible. And they went right back to sucking again. So that's fine by me. Then they're going to go play two on the south side. Do you remember that's still a thing? That the Cubs and the White Sox are rivals and have to play each other. And they always have to be two games at, at U.S. Comiscular every year because they're the only two games that they have a chance of selling out and Jerry needs the money. And then uh, they go to St. Louis for the only time and they play four games. Uh, and then the first two games of that Cincinnati series are at home on the 31st and the 1st. So the Cubs are looking at this as the make-or-break time. And uh, our friend John Greenberg wrote a column in The Athletic today, or the New York Times sports section, I'm not sure which one it is, um, where he basically said either, either the Cubs are going to play well and buy, or they're going to completely collapse and sell. And uh, we've seen this team, right? We've been watching it all year. We know what they're going to do. They're going to be just a, over the next... Uh, I guess it's, what is it? There must be uh, 18 games between now and the deadline. They're going to go like 8 and 10. And the division isn't going to run away from them because while the Reds are young and fun and whatever, they can't pitch at all. And the Brewers can't hit at all. And the Pirates are the Pirates and the Cardinals are bad. And the Cubs are still going to be sitting there kind of in limbo not good enough to do anything and propped up by a terrible division so they don't look as bad as they are. And it's going to be all muddled. And you're going to have people arguing, oh, they should buy. Oh, they should sell. You know what they should do? they got to find better baseball players. That's what they have to do. Because they don't have very many. I mean, it, that's a real issue with this roster is that there's a lot of bad baseball players on it. And even the really good ones, none of them are all that good. Like, who, their best player is probably, it's probably legitimately Cody Bellinger, who they're going to have for three more weeks, and then he's going to be gone. And he's got good stats, but the weird thing is, in his he's been hot lately, a 13-game hitting streak, something like that, with multiple hits. You know, it's one of those hitting streaks. Sometimes you can go on a hitting streak, and you hit, like, 240, because you're getting one hit a day. He's legitimately getting multi-hit games, but if you look at the data, he's not hitting the ball hard. And that's that's a big issue with this team, is that they just don't... Nobody hits the ball hard. There's a reason why they have to string so many hits together to score runs, and, and it's even worse than that, because it's not just stringing hits alone, but one or two of them has to be like this looper that just eludes a fielder. You know, it's not hit well enough to actually be a hit most of the time, but it's got to find a spot in the grass to land... Or the rally dies. Because, you know, even when they hit home runs, it's not, you know, you watch the home run derby. And, you, you know, it's, and I want to talk about that a little bit. 
So watching the home run derby, I watched it on ESPN too. I watched the nerd cast with uh, Kevin Brown, not that Kevin Brown, the other Kevin Brown, and uh, Jessica uh, Mendoza, and not uh, not the Mendoza line, Mendoza, different Mendoza, um, and then uh, nerd boy from one of the New York newspapers. I can't, I, whatever, one of the some reporter. And it was kind of neat because on air, immediately they could show you the exit velocity and the launch angle. And then they had like a, so one half of the screen would they be showing the derby on the other half of the screen. They're showing um, like this animation. We're showing the, the ball where it was landing. The problem with that was, I believe it was during, um, I think it was, it doesn't matter. It might've been when, uh, I don't think it was when, I think it was when Vlad Guerrero was went on a string. He hit, he had a bunch of home runs in a row. They literally didn't show his first ten home runs. You never saw the ball. The shot was of the pitcher and him, you know, the center field camera, and then the big graphic. So you're basically watching like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> look where these, look where these balls are landing. We're not going to show you. We're actually at the stadium. We have cameras everywhere. I'm not going to show you that. So just going to go over here. Um. But anyway, what you saw right there is, you know, the basic elements of how you hit a ball really hard. It has to do with not only the exit velocity, but the launch angle. So you're not just hitting it hard like into the ground, or you're not hitting it hard straight up. You're hitting it hard within a certain range. And you can't do that most of the time, but good players can do it enough that they put up big numbers and they come up and they hit the ball. The Cubs, nobody hits the ball very hard. So even if they hit it, uh, at the right launch angle, it's still going 85 miles an hour. It's not going 118. Christopher Morell hits it hard. And Patrick Wisdom hits it hard, but he only hits it once a week, maybe. And sometimes it's foul. So that's not working out. Um, so when it, they talk about should the Cubs be buyers or sellers, they should be both, right? Like they should just be looking to get better players. Like, if you've got a guy, and, and like last year, I talked about this before, the best trade they made at the, at the deadline last year was a trade that, like, didn't have, like, a screaming need. It wasn't, they weren't trading a player in the last year of his contract. They weren't acquiring a player in the last year of his contract. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, a, it wasn't a buy or a sell. It was just a trade. And it was Scott Efros for Hayden Wesneski. It was, we've got relief pitchers and no starters. You've got starters and no relief pitchers. So, Give us a starter, and we'll give you a reliever. That's how all baseball trades used to be before they became this, you know, this actuarial table of well, this guy has six years of control, and this guy is uh, if he amortizes his salary over whatever. Trades were usually made. The Cubs made trades for two reasons. Number one, they would make a trade because their all their draft picks were bad, and they didn't have anybody in the minor leagues, and they have a gaping hole, and then they'd have to trade somebody, or they'd have to trade somebody because. Uh, the guy's uh, dating habits offended P.K. Wrigley, and they would take a two-time batting champion, and they would just trade him away. Um, or they would make a trade because they had um, they had two center... Well, the Cubs never had two center fielders. I was thinking of the Rick Monday for Bill Buckner and Avanda Jesus trade, and that was the Cubs felt they had a surplus of outfielders. They needed a first baseman and shortstop. Dodgers needed a center fielder. They made that trade. Um, I was going to try to use an example from the 84 Cubs, but that was basically just Dallas constantly calling Paul Owens at the Phillies and being like, um, which guys don't you want anymore? 
from my old team because I'll take them. And then the Cubs were, the 84 Cubs were the 81 Phillies. And it worked, kind of. But nowadays, you don't get those trades. Those You get the trade of the the player who a team either doesn't want to or feels like they can't re-sign. And then for uh, prospects that have as many controllable years as possible. And that's great. You should, you, know, you should look for trades like that. But those seem to be the only kind of trades we really get. Or you get guys who um, are going to either have been DFA'd and so their team's going to lose them and they get something back for them or they're going to DFA them and another team's like, yeah, we'll take that guy. He'll put him on the bench. That'd be fine. So what the Cubs really need is for a couple of other teams to approach the trade deadline like the old days, which is we've got an extra player at this position and we need this and you've got an extra player at that position or you've got somebody coming up behind this guy who you think could play kind of I guess a good example for the Cubs would be when um, when Jed left the Padres and came to the Cubs and um, was it Josh Burns became the general manager of the Padres Cubs needed a first baseman the Padres had two they had Yonder Alonso and they had Anthony Rizzo and they had the Reds had tried to play Yonder Alonso in the outfield when they had him and Joey Votto at the same time, and that resulted in Tony Campana's only home run. And the Padres decided, against all belief, that they would... I guess Rizzo had really struggled in his debut, so maybe they were a little down on Tony. Uh, but the Cubs made a trade, which was, um, hey, we've got a pitcher that we th- thinks he's a starter, but we think he's a reliever. Um, Andrew Kashner, why don't you take him, and then we'll take one of those first basemen off your hands. Those are the, that's the kind of trade they need to make, and that doesn't that shouldn't that doesn't classify you as a buyer or a seller. It's kind of we're just looking to get players, and that's really what they need, because you look at this roster, and, and then they talk about the stockpile of talent down at AAA, and they bring guys up, and then it's like ugh. Well, I mean, think of the guys they've brought up, you know, like Jared Young. He's not really a prospect. He fits more of into the Frank Schwindel, Patrick Wisdom, <laughs> too old to be a prospect. Uh, thing uh they brought up matt mervis and he couldn't hit a fastball and they sent him to iowa where he won't see a fastball and somehow he's got to learn how to hit one hopefully he's going to is there an old arnold palmer driving range and batting cage somewhere in des moines i bet there is you should go to the one that throws um what 75 miles an hour and stand like 18 feet away from it and just do that every day for a few hours and see if he can learn how to hit a fastball um you know, we're told constantly about all the great prospects, and here they come, and blah, blah, blah. And I hope, I, I, I can't trust the prospect perverts, because they just think everybody's the greatest prospect. But maybe somebody is going to be good. Maybe P. Carl Armstrong is actually going to be good. I don't know. But anyway, if the Cubs get into seller mode, um, I, I jotted down the guys that they might be able to trade. Obviously, the two guys everybody looks at are Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger. Neither has a contract for next year. Marcus wants to stay. Cubs do not want him to stay. Uh, so they, honestly, even if they think they're kind of staying in it, they probably should trade him. Because they, they, they literally won't get anything for him. He doesn't have a qualifying offer. They basically, you know, here's this team. Oh, yeah, we really want to contend. We want to contend for years and blah, blah, blah. And, the, oh, no, we don't want to re-sign that guy. So it's like, okay, well, you've made your decision. So for whatever reason, either change your decision and, and try to re-sign him or trade him. Uh, with Bellinger, 
I'm not going to go into it the 15th time about how stupid I think it was to sign this guy to a one-year contract, um, do all the work to help him, you know, turn himself back into a good player again, and then just lose him. Uh, so they probably should trade him too, because they just they they don't seem to have any interest in keeping him. They don't. Nobody talks about it except for the guys at the athletic. <laughs> I think they should keep him. Who's who on the Cubs says that? Nobody. Okay. Well. And then it gets kind of bleak, right? There's a reason they only talk about those two guys. I mean, uh, in the bullpen, the Cubs typically have had, you know, Jed was really good at picking out uh, veteran relievers and giving them one-year deals and then flipping them. And this year, the two guys he got were Michael Fulmer and Brad Boxberger, and Brad's hurt and bad, and Fulmer is just bad. And, um, you know, he's pitched, I guess I forgot about uh, Julian Jerry Merriweather. I'd be more than happy to drive him to the airport. So maybe you can get something from one of those guys. You know, relievers are weird. Like, I, I can't imagine that anybody thought in the in 2015 that they could trade Tommy Hunter. But there was Theo with his handout going, give me that. Whoa, give me this guy. That's the guy we need. Um, so maybe you get something for that. And then there's, uh, you know, Drew Smiley is in the, is, has an option and is bad now. So he's probably not going anywhere. And then this this was rich. This, this is what I really enjoyed. So when uh, Tiny Little Nick Madrigal bumped into the wall at Miller Park and then just could not go on because he somehow pulled his hamstring. <laughs> Bumping into a... I was going to say bumped into the railing, but the railing was way too high. That would have hit him in the nose. So he just he ran into the wall. And uh, we heard all the stuff, but oh, this is such a tough break. He was just finally really starting to show us what he could do. <laughs> it's like, no, he's been showing us what he can do all along. It's not much, and it's bad. It's kind of funny, actually, watching a guy, a grown man, as grown as he's ever going to get, feel the ground ball and have to run 15 feet towards first base on a routine grounder so that it gets within his arm range to throw it to first. But that's the guy you want, you know. A uh, guy who's now hit two balls to the warning track in his life as a Cub. One of them over the fence. He hit a home run. A real live big league home run. Congratulations, Nick. I'm so proud. But there were people like, well, you know, it's, it sucks because you know, they could have showcased him and traded him. <laughs> who the fuck are you going to trade Nick Madrigal to? The only two teams in baseball who've ever wanted him have had him. The White Sox traded him and haven't bothered to replace him. They were just like, well, it's no wor- you know, it's, can we just leave that spot empty? It's no worse than Madrigal. Um, and the Cubs got him, and I'm, I'm positive the reason they hang on to him and force him into the lineup and all that stuff is he and Cody Hoyer were the only big leaguers they got at the deadline in 21 when they made all those trades and you know tore up the, the World Series team. And damn it, if Jed isn't going to, one of those guys is going to work out, and Cody keeps uh, has a he has a punch card with James Andrews, and he goes down and gets gets an elbow ligament worked on uh, once a year, whether he needs it or not, and that leaves Nick. So we seem to be stuck with him. Uh, maybe he'll miraculously come back, and then whatever that phantom team out there, <laughs> maybe a team who's tanking and re- wants to go for the number one pick, maybe they'd be like, you know, we could use we could use Nick Madrigal. Otherwise, I that's not going to happen. Um, so that brings it up another point that I wanted to make, though, is the Cubs have, I think, their best prospect, Miguel Amaya, is on the roster. And when he plays, he's impressive. He's impressive at the plate. He's really impressive behind the plate. He looks like a really good big league catcher, and they just don't play him. 
He had become Kyle Hendricks' like personal catcher, and then inexplicably on the last day before the All-Star break, Tucker Barnhart was back there catching him because we got to get Tucker's big bat into the lineup. Um, he, Miguel shouldn't be up if he's not going to play. You know, we've gone over this. You know, due to injuries, some pretty severe ones, including his own bout with Tommy John disease. He's barely played over 100 games in the last five years. He just he needs to play. Uh, it's really actually it's pretty amazing. He's as good as he is given the limited amount of t- time he's played. So if you insist on having Jan and Tucker, then Miguel should be catching at Iowa just to get reps. Now a better solution would be to fire Tucker Barnhart into the sun and make Miguel the regular backup to Jan, and make it mostly a 50-50 split. Uh, but they haven't done that to this point. So maybe at the deadline, the idea is going to be, all right, if we're going to sell, whatever selling is for the Cubs, maybe we trade one of those catchers. Now, I, uh, Jan probably has some uh, value. He's had a pretty good year for the Cubs. I think his offense is a little inflated. He got off to a good start, and he goes through these stretches where you know he doesn't hit anything. And um, But he's not bad. He's a, he's a bona fide big league catcher still, even at his age. And I, I'm sure there's a team out there that's like, every, every good teams are always worried about their catching. But Jan has a team option for next year, and I'm sure the Cubs are th- or have him, you know, penciled in, and or probably penned in, to be back next year as the catcher. So that leaves Tucker, who for some reason got a two-year contract. He had all that leverage after that great year he had in Detroit. He has a two-year contract, but honestly, as weird as it is, they could trade him. There is a team who would give you something for Tucker Barnhart because um, maybe they don't scout and they don't realize <laughs> how much his defense has dropped off. Um, but he's a he's a big league catcher. He knows what he's doing. If he's if you need a if you need a backup for the stretch run, you can do a lot worse. A lot worse catchers get traded. It's actually some pretty bad catchers typically move at the trade deadline, uh, and for that reason. And they should do that because they should open that spot for Amaya. And if you're if you're trading at the deadline and making moves like that, you've basically given up for the year. Then you shouldn't be as afraid as I think they are that because they don't really have a catcher at AAA, that if one of the catchers gets hurt, now you're left without. Uh, you know, if you trade the great Tucker and you're you've got Miguel and Jan, and Miguel gets hurt again or Jan gets hurt, now you don't have a backup catcher. It shouldn't matter for the last two months, right? Like, give whoever that slappy at Iowa is his the, the thrill of his life. Where's P.J. Higgins? Give him a call. Uh, actually, I don't remember where P.J. went. I remember that P.J. cleared waivers and the Cubs tried to bring him back, and he's like, nope, I don't want to go back to Des Moines, which I really can't blame him. Um, or, I mean, I know this would, this would be really risky. You could trade the, the incredible superstar Mike Talkman. And I would think that if... If Shohei isn't on the market, Talkman immediately becomes the best player available. I don't know the Cubs would want to part with such a dynamo, but uh, you know it's something to think of. Uh, so speaking of Shohei, the uh, the all if you didn't know the All Star game was in Seattle um, earlier this week, and um, the Mariners fans did their best to woo Shohei, and you know people even me. Even big brain guys like me at home going, oh yeah, that's great. Um, but honestly, there's a they have a they probably have the second best chance 
of acquiring him, of signing him in the offseason. It's most like the Dodgers, I think, should be overwhelming favorites. I'm not going to, we're not going to sugarcoat this, pretend like Seattle's got a better chance than they do. You know, he already lives in the LA area. Anaheim, you know, I'm sure he doesn't, nobody lives in Anaheim because it's under 85, but um, he lives somewhere around there. And, you know, the, the Dodgers are like, you know, hey, if I'm going to stay in L.A., I might as well play on the good team. So th- they have the best chance. Plus, they literally are, their entire um, salary structure for this season was meant to duck back under the competitive balance tax for a year. So it resets. And then go nuts in the, in the offseason. And there's not a lot of big free agents in this offseason. So if you're going to go nuts, you've, you're trying to go Shohei. So I think that's clearly what they want to do. But then we learned stuff about Shohei that I didn't know. I'm sure other people knew this. Um, Shohei has a permanent home in the United States, and it's in Seattle. And he doesn't just like Ichiro; he worships Ichiro. A lot of, a lot of, you know, well, a lot of American kids who grew up when Ichiro was playing worship Ichiro. But a lot of Japanese kids too of that age. That was their guy. And Ichiro is still very, very connected to the Mariners. And Ichiro's going to do some wooing. It's funny, the Mets, they're talking about the Mets being loath to fire their general manager, Billy Epler, because Billy has a good relationship with Shohei when he signed him with the Angels. Uh, so they want to keep him around because they're going to make a run at Shohei. I have a feeling uh, Ichiro might be more of a, more of a pull than Billy Epler. Just a, just a guess. Um... You know, and the fact that they're that Seattle has had you know great Japanese players in the past, other than Ichiro, um, and I think they're kind of seen in Japan as like they're they're Japan's Major League Baseball team. I think a lot of Japanese fans, their favorite team is the Mariners because of the guys they've had. So maybe it's not crazy. Um, what is crazy is any Cub fan who is honestly deluding themselves into the idea that a the Cubs would actually offer him what he would need to come, and that B, he would look at the Cubs and be like, oh yeah, that seems like a good idea. He did consider them the first time, and that was kind of prime. This was still the glow of the World Series, and this is going to be a team to reckon with for years to come, and here's Theo, and you know his charisma is you know that can cut through the language barrier and all that stuff. Well, they don't have any of that shit now. You know, I mean, you got... You got you're going to have dinner with Tom Ricketts and Jed at the Chuck E. Cheese in Scottsdale or wherever they took um, Saya. You probably have Saya going, yeah, maybe, just no. I mean, I'd love to have you, but you don't want to come here. And you have a team that can't, won't admit it's rebuilding. You know, I mean, He's been on a losing team in, in L.A. that had Mike Trout on it. You think he wants to come to a, a <laughs> losing team in Chicago so he can play with Ian Happ? I just, I just, I don't see it. So uh, don't get too excited about that. Um, so quickly, the, the I wrote a column this week about, uh, I wrote one column about they should fire David Ross because he's an idiot and fire Jed because there is no plan. And if there is a plan, it's a terrible plan. And we don't need that plan. Um, but they're not going to do that. So could you at least do three very obvious things to give yourselves a shot this month before you inevitably cave and give everybody away those are stop batting Ian Happ third or fourth because he's not hitting he's certainly not slugging his batting average right at the break is 247 
I know batting average doesn't tell the whole tale, but it shows just how much of his production is involved in him walking. He's getting on base. I, I, admittedly, the on-base average is heading south sharply. <laughs> but maybe if his formal role was lead off, do your damnedest to get on base, it would go back up. Because he is walking more. I mean, the, the, the swing change that everybody went on about that unlocked Ian and turned him into a good player... Um, really wasn't much of a swing change. He stopped swinging at a high fastball as a left-hand hitter that he couldn't hit. And it upped his walks because he was striking out through those. But here's the weird thing, right? So he changed the swing. And last year he was a productive right-handed hitter for the first time in ever. This year he's a terrible right-handed hitter. And the only difference is he had a, a, a he was really lucky last year. His, his batting average on balls in play as a right-handed hitter was unsustainably high. It's actually kind of got some bad luck this year. So it's that whole thing about your numbers will even out. This is evening out. He didn't fix anything from the right-hand side. He just got lucky, and the Cubs threw a bunch of cash at him. Uh, but even though he's he supposedly changed the swing so he could make more contact and walk more. I don't know how you change your swing so you can walk more, but um, get on base more. He's still striking out a lot. Like, he's going to strike out like 180 times this year. Like it's, I think that's what he's on pace for, 170 to 180 times. So really all his change has done is it's completely sapped him of power. He doesn't slug anymore. He's, he's hit seven home runs. He hit two of them in London in that little rinky-dink ballpark. So I don't even know if they should count. Um, and he doesn't even hit – last year he hit 40-some doubles, and this year he's on pace to hit like 25. So if you're gonna play him, and I guess you gotta play him because you gave him a bunch of money, and we're stuck with him now for three more years. I I'm very comfortable with the fact that I warned everybody, let him go. He's he's an okay player, and in order to keep him, you gotta pay him like he's a really good player, and he's not. And the Cubs won't eat contracts like that. We saw it with uh, Jason Hayward, where this rich team could just paper over a terrible contract and fill right field with a better player, and they just refuse to do it. Uh, he's gonna be. He's, he's going to be fucking up left field for the next three seasons. So congratulations. So don't have him fuck up the third and fourth spots in the batting order. Have him lead off. Because if, if there's one thing he does well is get on base, accentuate that. Bat him there. Um, and then the, the other thing is this whole, this weird aversion to playing Christopher Morell at third base. I have a feeling, you know, this is conspiracy me talking about this. I think the reason they, they were so loath to play Morell at third base was they were just hell-bent on it becoming Madrigal for whatever reason. And I think the fear was they play Morell there, and you'll realize that, yes, he's not the smoothest defensive third baseman, but he's going to make more plays than Nick is. He's probably going to make more, He's not probably, he's going to make more errors. But he's also going to make more plays, because Madrigal, for a guy who's supposedly this defensive whiz over there, he has no range to either side, and he also, he he jumps like a toddler, so any ball hit over, hit, you know, hat high or higher, which isn't real high, is a hit. He doesn't, he can't make a, um, there, uh, any do or die throw with Madrigal is, is die. It's not do. And then offensively, he's so limited. You know, he doesn't walk, he doesn't hit for power, he's completely batting average based. He's all the way up to, he, he had to get super hot to get to 270 when, Seriously, he probably, because of the lack of anything, needs to hit 340 to be useful. So even his hot streak, he's still 70 points from useful. Like 340 is ridiculous. He has 340. That's like a 348 on base percentage for him. That's low for a guy who can't slug. He's not a good player. So, But the Cubs 
Didn't want to play him there. Then Madrigal gets hurt. It's like, oh, I guess you got to play Morrell there. But then Dansby Swanson hurts his heel. So Nico moves from second to short. Miles Mastroboni comes up, who's the second baseman. The Cubs play him at third and play Morrell at second. I don't get it. Does, is the plan to move Nico to third then? No, of course it's not. That would be ridiculous. I I suppose what they would say to you is it's going to be some combination of Mastroboni and Wisdom at third for a while, so we're just going to leave Morrell at second base. No. The, there's a You have a gaping hole at third base, and you have a bat that his native position is third base. Play him there until he proves to you that he can't, because you seem to be comfortable playing Nick Madrigal there until he proves he can't, and he did. And you're still sh- trying to shoehorn his tiny little body into that spot. Do it with a far better player in Morrell. And because you need to know in the offseason if you need to go find a third baseman, or maybe even at the deadline, you need to find a third baseman. I think the answer to that is yes, but if you're just going to, if you're going to ignore the fact that you have a possible solution, I just, I don't understand what you're doing. And then there's the whole thing with Amaya and having him on the roster and not playing him. That's also, it's just completely asinine to me. And then the third thing that I wrote in that column was, I know you haven't signed for another year, but at least while you're pretending to contend, you can't play Trey Mancini. Because he can't defensively handle a position. And offensively, he has gotten to the point he cannot hit a fastball. He's hitting 205, I think, on fastballs. And where two years ago, he was slugging well over 500, not well over, he was slugging over 500 against fastballs. Now he's like in the 280s or something. It's, it's embarrassing. His bat speed has slowed. So he has to cheat to get to fastballs, which also means when he guesses wrong and he doesn't get a fastball, he's on his front foot for a breaking pitch. So then unless he gets lucky and his swing path happens to run into the ball, he can't hit a breaking ball. So what are we doing? Why are we playing him? I don't get it. Maybe after August 1st, when we're all when the Cubs have, have officially given up and we're all focused on Justin Fields and the Bears, then you play the shit out of Trey and see if you got anything left. But for right now, if you really are pretending that you're trying to win, you just you can't play. I just I don't get it. Um, the thing I'm going to write about uh, soon is uh, the, the Cubs keep getting frustrated by Major League Baseball because they thought that when they renovated Wrigley Field, they were going to get an all-star game. And they renovated Wrigley, and they actually did a, did a nice job. It's one of the few things I give the Ricketts credit for. And they're still not getting one. And now they may lose the 2025 one to Atlanta. And the reason Atlanta is in line is because it got taken away from them a couple of years ago because of their voter suppression laws. <laughs> and how rich is it that the uh, that the Ricketts family is going to be cock-blocked by a state that uh, had temporarily lost uh, their rights to the All-Star game because of voter laws that I'm sure the Ricketts family uh, vociferously support. Uh, but here's why, and I'm going to expand on this, all the reasons, but as a Cub fan, the, re- there's, the reason I don't want the Cubs to get an All-Star game is I want Major League Baseball to tell the Cubs, hey, if you want an international showcase for your stadium, do the work to get back to another World Series. How about that? And then you can get three or four games instead of just one. Because to me, I mean, they they clearly are content now with we won our World Series. Now let's see what you know. Maybe we'll get lucky and we'll get to go back to playoffs a few times. 
Uh, I do not want them rewarded with, hey, here's a weekend where um, you can jack the prices up and you can really get some sponsorship money for that year because you can reward the sponsors with the few seats that will actually be open uh, for people to sit in. And if you're a Cub fan, if you're a season ticket holder, you're probably not going to the All-Star game at Wrigley. And if you're a Cub fan who is not a season ticket holder, you are not going to the All-Star game at Wrigley. So don't get too excited unless you just love to watch um, it gives you a, you know, a glowing feeling inside to watch uh, your favorite team's ballpark on TV for big events because that's that's what you're going to get. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to talk about um, was the uh, was the Northwestern thing. Pat Fitzgerald getting fired, and the one defense that people were coming up for Pat for um, not knowing about uh, the fact that uh, some of his players would would stand naked in front of the doors to the shower and spin around and flap their little willies around so that uh, freshmen would have to walk through them on their way to the shower and other awful things that they did to people. Um, they'd be like, well, he, he just, he didn't know. You know, stuff goes on. Coach, the head coach doesn't go in the, lock, the, go in the locker room that much. How is he supposed to know that stuff's going on? And there's a lot of people say, well, the head coach should know everything goes on in the program. Well, the head coach should know a lot about what goes on in the program. I, I grant you that. Um... But, you know, they'll, the, the, his defenders are like, I mean, come on, you know, it, how is it his fault? Here's the failing that I think of when, when I think of this is let's, let's be charitable and let's say that Pat didn't, un, didn't know the extent of what was going on. That to me says that the players, and clearly there were a bunch of them who were uncomfortable with what was going on were not comfortable enough to go to the head coach and talk about it. And I think that should get you fired. And it did. And I love the fact that Pat, they, the, the new president, you know, they mapped out this two week suspension in July is ridiculously, you know, slap on the wrist. And then when uh, public uh, outrage got to him, he immediately made the more likely decision, which was, we're just going to fire the coach. Um, they fired him for cause, which, yeah, I can kind of see why that would be cause. And uh, so Pat and his lawyers are, uh, are writing a lawsuit, and Pat's thing is, we agreed that I was only going to get two weeks, and we're going to stick to that. It's like, I got news for you, Pat. That's not how it fucking works. Uh, so anyway, so we'll get back to, uh, get back to regular podcasts uh, hopefully next week. Um, in the meantime, obviously, you can subscribe to the Pointless Exercise Podcast, or, or sign up for the for the Pointless Exercise Podcast, uh, and you can subscribe to the Pointless Exercise Newsletter. You can also follow me on the health site at Twitter, at twitter.com slash discipio.com, all spelled out. you got to spell the dot and the com. Uh, you can follow me on Blue Sky at discipio.bksy. Is that right? B-S-K-Y? That's social, whatever it is. If you go, to, if you if you're one of the lucky people who has a Blue Sky account, if you search for Discipio, you will find me. And there is a pointless exercise thread, um, which I believe is. I never know how to go. The thread thing is weird because it's only on your phone, so it's not like you can just easily give out. The, go to threads and search for pointless exercise. It's pointless exercise one, uh, the number one, and you can find us. Uh, I was asked, you know, because I'm uh, you know big smart guy. What's going to happen long term? Like, are we really all going to abandon Twitter? And, I, and 
honestly, it, of course. I mean, at some point, every social media thing flames out. Um, but Elon is certainly doing his damnedest to speed that process up. And it really is an awful place. Uh, it always Twitter was always kind of icky. It was kind of the charm of it, but now it's not. Just, I mean, it's it's terrible. Um, those of us who built up decent followings, though, still go because there's an audience there, and we'll post our stuff. Um, but like, where are you going to go otherwise? Blue Sky is a very promising alternative, given that it's basically Twitter, right? But right now, it's this weird little beta version. And it's an echo chamber. There's a lot of people thinking the same thing. There's very little challenging going on over there. And so uh, Threads jumped in with both feet and used basically the Instagram infrastructure. And I have 100 million users already. And I honestly, if they fix a couple of things, which is if they allow you to sort your thread um, chronologically... And they allow you to only look at, you know, just kind of like the, the, the ridiculous following and for you tab on Twitter. If they allow you to change your, when you log in, flip over to just the people you follow, honestly, I think it would work. Um, but right now, because of that, like, we, you can't, like, it's it's no fun to, like, watch a sporting event and post things on threads because it doesn't show up in the right order and people can't follow it and some people might not see it at all and some people might see it eight hours later so right now there really isn't a there isn't an alternative but somebody's got to provide one because um the ick factor over there with uh, the guy with the exploding cars is, is just a little too much anyway thanks for listening and um we will uh, catch up with you next time many of us have herpes 